0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette, and today I have an exciting episode on the topic of post-master's program transitions. I have not one but two guests today who will be sharing their distinct post-master's program experiences with us. Our guests are Ariana Aparicio Aguilar and Patricia Ayala. Ariana began her educational journey at Santa Rosa Junior College and transferred to Sonoma State University, where she obtained a bachelor's degree in sociology with distinction. She also holds a master's degree in education with a focus on higher education from the Harvard Graduate School of Ed and is currently pursuing a PhD in higher ed administration and policy at UC Riverside. Patricia pursued her BA in Chicano and Latino Studies with a minor in Spanish and a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration at Sonoma State. She also obtained her Master of Arts in Education degree um, with uh, a focus on educational leadership and administration at CSU Fresno. During her college journey, Patricia has worked in a variety of educational support programs to help support students in transition going into college. And she enjoys helping students find their major and learn more about grad school. So welcome to the podcast, Ariana and Patricia. I'm happy to have you both here. Thank you so much. What a pleasure and
1: honor to be a guest on your podcast. Yeah. Um, big fan. <laughs> We're big fans, so... <laughs> And and I
0: feel like vice versa, you know, igualmente, because I'm a fan of Chicana Code Switchers. I'm a fan of what you all do and what you share, um, both on your podcast and on social media. So thank you for joining me today. We'll get started with um, asking you both to share a little bit more about who you are and what you do. And if you're comfortable to share a little bit more about each of your backstories. So we wanna know how did you both get to where you are today? And we can get started with whoever feels comfortable diving in. So uh,
1: <laughs> I'll go first. Um, so I'm originally from Mexico City. I migrated to the US at the age of four. Um, and just as the oldest of five siblings, I, I was always the one in my household to was tasked with figuring things out <laughs> and just translating and you know, going to parent student conferences and being the interpreter and um, making phone calls, et cetera. So I, I, I think those being the oldest and also being um, an immigrant I just outlined my experiences as a younger person and also pushed me to, to do what I like, what I could with the education that I was provided here, with the opportunities that I was provided here in the U.S. Uh, given that that's the reason my parents migrated to the U.S. to give me better opportunities at life, at an education, at a quality of life. So, so I that's that's a little bit about my background, and then. Um, just having great friendships and collaborators and role models along the way, people who who took an interest in me, who saw potential, who saw this hunger and desire to get ahead in life, right? Um, and then just having them guide me and show me the ropes. And, and it was an entire community of people that I've met along the way and just took a chance at me and gave me an opportunity to to learn from them and and um the rest the rest is history or her story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and patricia i'd love to hear also from you and then after i also am curious to learn more about how you both met so i would love to learn the chicana code switchers origin story tambien <laughs> So
2: hi, thank you so much Yvette for again inviting us to the podcast. It's always a pleasure to connect with other folks who are also just sharing on different platforms, different information for a lot of our communities, especially for folks who are considering and going to grad school. Um, So my story started, I mean, my family um, originated from Michoacan, Mexico. Um, They moved when they married um, to Jalisco um, in Mexico and that's where my older sister and I were born um, and then I immigrated to California in the U.S. Um, when I was two and from there we've been going back and forth to Mexico so every holiday break we would go back um, to visit family and spend some time there. Um, my dad um, is uh, was a farm worker and um, moved up and because the way that agriculture is structured in Napa Valley in the North Bay area, um, he worked in the wine industry for um, most of his uh, adult life. Um, even, you know, when he first was younger, um, he was also going back and forth when he was um, pre-te- uh, like a teenager, young adult. Um, so my mom was at home, um, a housewife. And so A lot of the dynamic within having just three sisters is a little bit different than Ariana, who had a lot more siblings. Um, But, you know, from the beginning, my parents had always envisioned us going to college. So that was kind of interesting now that I am in a position where I'm in a senior advisor in a four-year university where I get to work with undergraduate students and get to see hear so many of our stories of, you know, what are some of the challenges, what are some of the things that are um been helpful and I've never you know thought that during the time that I was living it how unique our experience have been and why it was such we're such an outlier for the majority of our family uh, groups or you know family dynamics of having all three of us go to college so um older sister had gone to UC Davis and so she was the first one who had stepped out and went straight to a four-year. Some of my aunts had started at the community college, but for the most part, because we were such new immigrants, um, we didn't know a lot of the higher ed systems or what kind of options we had other than, you know, what was immediately available in our community, which is the community college. So my older sister was able to go to a four-year straight out because she had participated in upper bound and talent search when she was in, you know, K through 12. And got me to also, you know, participate in that program. So that was a big help. Um, having an older sister had gone through some of the um, uh, systems, however, I chose a different track. Um, so she went to nutritional science. I did business, and you know, from my bio, um, Chicano Latino studies. So it was a lot more social justice oriented. Um, My younger sister went to UC Merced and studied public health. So all three of us kind of studied entirely different disciplines and fields. And when I was in undergrad, I did, I was very highly involved and um, decided to, because of an encouragement of one of my uh, professors um, to participate in a program called McNair. So if it weren't for McNair and all these like um, support programs that were available to um, to students like myself, I don't think I would have dreamed as big or done as quickly all of these things um, and had gotten to be achieve, you know, my career goals the way that I would, I might have ended up here, but it probably would have taken longer. And so I think that was what inspired me to pursue a career in um, higher education. So I had never thought that higher ed was like a career field. I had only been kind of thinking about doing a nonprofit just because, again, you know, things that are closest to us is something that we kind of envision ourselves as our career or um, options that we have to pursue as majors or degrees. Um, So at that time, um, I had met Ariana. That's kind of part of our origin (laughs) of our podcast is we met because I was an undergrad student at that time. I believe it was... um, my junior and senior year, uh, my last three years of college is when I met Ariana. Ariana was an undeclared advisor at Sonoma State at that time.
0: Oh, how interesting. <laughs> and so we you were, were an undergrad and Ariana was an advisor?
2: Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we were um, there. And again, I, st- I went straight to um, Sonoma State, a four-year Um, the same way as my sister, except I went to a CSU. So I'm the only one who went to a CSU and went to pursue a master's um, and even knew relatively what the whole PhD process was. So um, I think that definitely changed kind of my trajectory Um, and I was highly involved on campus. So that's how I met Ariana because we were both like kind of organizing and doing a lot of coalition work uh, and helping get a undocumented uh, student resource center on campus because that had never, you know, you know that kind of resource or department had never existed at Sonoma um, structurally okay. or formally. Um, everything was just kind of informal people kind of going out of their way uh, to help undocumented students. Um, and then Ariana also participated in other coalition work that we did on campus to make more social justice spaces and also uh, places for women of color to, um, understand what the options are of grad school. So we created clubs, events, and all that stuff. So that's how we met. And because I was in McNair, I would share to Ariana that, you know, I was going to, you know, apply for summer internships and also um, grad school pretty soon. So in my last year, we both of us were like, we both want to do this. Most of my friends had graduated because they were transfer students and they were older than me. Um, so Ariana and I would meet periodically to apply for grad programs. And so that's how we both went to our master's programs after we, I graduated. Um, and we connected because in one of my, um, classes that I took, um, it just as an elective for my master's program required that we do a podcast. And, you know, I was like, Ariana, we have so many great cool stories from our friends. It was from a course. Uh, committee members for my master's thesis. um, She uh, put this as an assignment and this is kind of how the project ended up starting. And we've had connected with so many folks being able to, you know, the goal was for us to create a podcast where people could come in from all sorts of walks of life to discuss what their options and their thought process was in their both career and professional and personal lives. So that can help other people kind of envision themselves of what would that career or, you know, option
0: be if people were to kind of pursue that? So if I'm hearing this correctly, um, you met, you were an undergrad, Ariana, you were working at the institution at Sonoma, and then you both stayed in touch. You both were interested in pursuing an advanced degree. And then in your master's coursework, you were required to work on a podcast. you two were still in touch. Uh, and you started the podcast together then, and it has been since then.
2: <laughs> yes. Wow. So, yeah. I, when I was kind of putting together, kind of the you know the idea or pitching the idea of what this podcast would be for to my professor, I was like, well, I had to kind of think about um, who one of my friends would I consistently want to do a podcast with, and I'm like, Adiana is, you know, been the she goes everywhere does a lot of things. And we just like connected very well, because we were just always like involved on campus and uh, during our communities. And I had, um, again, both of us were sharing the same experience of isolation and also Mm. kind of a whole new environment. Because when you are in grad school, like you have majority of your brain is 90% of it is, you know, navigating and kind of the 10% is kind of like your own personal life. So mm-hmm. so much of our time is spent in a grad program and we wanted to just kind of document and have an archive of uh, wanting to also honor all the people that had helped us get to this pace um, and also um, be able to connect with more people who are also experiencing this and finding ways of how we can do better in the field. Yeah. Um, how can we connect with experts or people that we, uh, find uh, is doing the work that we want to, because it's so crucial to connect with folks because of how isolating it is. Because not only do we have less people, um, less mar- minoritized people pursuing grad school with kind of our backgrounds. But even more so, there's less who are considering or thinking about the field in the social justice lens. Yeah. When you're looking at all this, and, you know, there's even less folks. So we knew that in order for us to sustain the work that we do, we do need to connect and, you know, collaborate or even just for our own sanity, meet with people who would think like us because it's going to be very traumatizing going into a classroom where you have to always justify why people should you know, have humanity and empathy towards people that are different than themselves.
0: Um, I want to go back a little bit because you were already in the master's program, but today we're here to talk about Pulse master's program transitions. And I was hoping you both could share a little bit more about like what um it took to make the decision to pursue a master's degree. So um. What was it that made you decide that? And also, I, I think that super interesting that you two have separate trajectories because I would have thought that Ariana was the one in the McNair program because she's in a doctoral program right now and not the other way around. So Patricia, you went to McNair, but you didn't go on to get the doctor program, which is the expectation in, in programs like McNair so I want to hear from both of you and maybe Adriana, if you want to get us started like how did you arrive at like wanting to pursue a master's program yeah. and then yeah. and then the PhD too because I mean it's also <laughs> another another program you've been you know working toward
1: so so for context, um, and it's good that you pointed that out, when I was an undergrad in 2010-2011 at Sonoma State, um, I wasn't eligible to be part of McNair's, um, And mm-hmm. so I wasn't allowed to, like, even though I'm interested in grad school or even though I, I was trying to figure out my next steps, it was during a time where undocumented people were not accepted or it's a federal run uh, run program so I wasn't allowed like the one question that asked about citizenship I didn't fulfill so that was one uh one of the examples of that I always bring up to people of things that prevented me from participating that and studying abroad right things that I would have completely taken advantage of and enjoyed doing I couldn't because of my legal status um and then um Basically, what prompted me to do a master's program was the fact that I was, had worked in higher ed for a few years at that time. So DACA passing in 2012 allowed me to work for a nonprofit, allowed me to work at the state, allowed me to see the, basically what goes on behind the scenes at a four-year institution. Like my alma mater going back as a, a working professional, like gave me that insight and um, to be honest I got burnt out uh, of working um, and also Trump getting elected in 27 2016 or whatever and just feeling like I was <laughs> at a risk you know like when you think about it students tend to be protected and like looked looked at as like oh we need to protect them or you know or we need When it comes to like protecting anyone at an institution of higher ed, it's the students.
2: Yeah.
1: So I said, I'm going to apply to, the goal was PhD programs at the time, but I ended up getting deferred to the master's program at Harvard, which is fine. Um, And, but the goal, like the end goal for me has always been to do a PhD. So even though it did take me after my master's program, three more times to apply to get into the current program that I'm in um like I was on a mission like I'm like I need that PhD and it's kind of of a survival mode or approach because as an undocumented person I need to think about ways that I can get ahead and be deemed like worthy of staying in this country and if not staying in this country be more marketable if I decide to Mm -hmm. leave the U.S. and go to another country so for me, it's more like twofold. It's yes, I, I want to get ahead intellectually and I do want this degree. This has been the ultimate goal to go as far as I can. I think it's like the immigrant drive in me. Um and and it's also like, okay, so how if nothing changes legally with my situation, right? Like I have to wait 20 years to even hear back from my mom's and my sister's petitions. I can't wait 20 years. I just I'm at a point where I'm done. Like I'm done. Yeah. And I'm going to get this degree and if depending on where I'm at at that point uh you know, I have options. I'm no longer tied to this country. <laughs> so so that's me. That's and and I in going back to being burnt out working um I wanted to invest in myself well like work for myself like do stuff that's gonna get me ahead if that makes so academically um, it was a way to to
0: do that but Uh, about
1: this but this story different
0: yeah well thank you for for sharing and for being so open and honest about you know, the the way that education can be uh, an avenue through which you can focus on survival, focus on your safety, focusing on, um, you know, what are the ways I can protect myself based off uh, my my status, uh, my legal status. Uh, I think that a lot of people are going to be able to relate to you and hearing your story. And also, it is incredibly frustrating that Federally funded programs like McNair continue to only um, accept students who are US citizens and permanent residents. Uh, so I hear you. That's I, um, working for McNair, that was a huge, huge frustration of mine um, with um, noticing some really, really bright students who would be eligible if it weren't for that one exception. Uh, thankfully, there are more institutions who are creating. Um, kind of like parallel programs uh, that provide similar types of support uh, but it's still it's still not enough and and it makes sense kind of that you've gone on this pathway and this trajectory both on the the side of needing to have more credentials and protect yourself but then at the same time having that work experience and realizing it's really easy to get burnt out in higher ed. So now I'm curious from um, Patricia's end because she's the one working now. So let, let's hear your take too. Yes,
2: and I think it's really important to what Ariana had mentioned is like what the time you're born and what you know kind of resources and stuff like that you're you have access to, how much it changes. So I was born in 95, so... I'm like the youngest millennial slash general Zer, older in that, I'm like in the middle of the two generations. Um, and my trajectory had changed because when I was in high school, um, Upper Bound had lost its funding in the area that I was in. So I started going to college where there was a lot of shift and changes in how higher ed uh, was admitting students. So when I tried to um, apply for the UCs, like kind of like how my older sister did, um, a lot of the UCs that I had applied to had changed their criteria where they were being a lot more uh, picky and selective because there was a huge influx of more um, students applying to them than they had seats for. And that's kind of the trends that I had seen um, from since I studied higher ed was that Um, since the sixties, the bar had started going higher and higher for a lot of our students of color, seeing how many of us are now starting to go to higher ed. The stakes moved up as a lot of people, especially privileged folks, um, started seeing that there's way too many competitions. So like they're trying to figure out strategic ways, either through academics or even, uh, professional careers on how to, um, change the bar. Um, so by the time that I applied, a lot of things have changed. And so that's the reason why I went to a a CSU instead of a UC. Um, another thing that changed when I was in, um, applying and a lot of my mentors at McNair were surprised that a lot of folks who wanted to, I mean, because of my research interest, I was very in a niche and had very few people, um, who were experts in the field in had very few um, universities that I could apply to in those departments, and a lot of people were moving. So a lot of things were changing in terms of where people were at back in 2018, 2019. And so by the time that I applied, um, the cha- the rules were changing where they weren't really admitting as many folks from, um, that were going straight from undergrad to a PhD. So when I talked to one of my mentors, she's like, yeah, I couldn't even compete. The committee had gone through selecting more folks who had already uh, professional experience in higher ed and also who had already a master's. So she had recommended that I go back, get my master's and then pursue a PhD after that. So a lot of, again, the rules changed when I was applying. So it was just, again, the timing was off. And by the time that I graduated from my master's, is when the pandemic started. So in 2020, I had to, I had decided then because of the lack of structure help, and also I was done earning about 10 to 15K as a part time student because you can't really earn that much or have enough time to have a full time job. I mean, some folks did it, but I think that was too much um, to, to do at the time, especially relocating to, um, an area like Fresno, they, they're not, they don't have as many universities to work in. Uh, they have very few, uh, public universities that I would want to go, uh, work. They only have, um, CSU Fresno and also UC Merced. That's like one of the two closest higher ed. And that's why, again, it's a, um, kind of like an a- a- academic desert, uh, where there's not that many opportunities for folks to have choices, kind of like how they do, let's say for an area that I grew up in, either the Bay Area or let's say Southern California, where they have a lot more um, higher ed systems. So by the time that I graduated, my goal was to get some career, ex- some you know, professional experience. So then I could decide whether or not I even wanted to go to a PhD at that time. I was kind of questioning whether I wanted to do that. The pandemic started and then hiring freezes started. So that's why I was so glad that I had applied to work um, for jobs six months before I graduated because I was able to get in some applications and able to get a job. And I just had a two-week vacation once I graduated and I started my full-time job, my first full-time job. Um, So from there on, my first year uh, as a professional was to just gain experience and earn money At that time, I got connected with a lot of folks who in higher ed were doing, were becoming expats. In higher ed and transitioning outside
0: oh. no. <laughs> I know we're not here to talk about that but I kind of want to hear a little bit more about that yeah so like <laughs> that's
2: where you know I, I recommend folks who are pursuing master's or even considering a PhD maybe that master's is a good first step for you to get your feet in and kind of figure out if this is kind of a something you want to pursue or still want to do um especially for folks who are first gen I think I'm glad that I did my master's because it gave me a first introduction of whether you know this world and if I wanted to do this even longer term for a PhD um I also uh started looking at careers that I wanted to do if I were to transition out of higher ed I'm gonna have a business background so I always kind of figured I wanted to do something within uh, you know ed tech or um tech in general, because I am in the Bay Area, and some of my former colleagues actually made that transition to tech, so that's when I was like, looking at the job description, and all they ask is a bachelor's, and sometimes not even that, and you're earning six figure salaries, so that's when I was like, I don't think it's worth from the things that I want to pursue, my life goals, Um, and also my parents moved full-time to Mexico, so like, a lot of things have changed in my personal life, and so I'm like, I I, I wouldn't want to just move, uphold my family and go to somewhere else for a PhD program. Um, because you also have to consider, you know, your partner, your family, kind of like what your stuff is. And I am one of the oldest family members now within my siblings that has earned more. So I'm like, in case of anything, like, unfortunately doing a phd would destabilize everything um so for now i love not doing schoolwork and not being in school and earning money and kind of you know putting up some savings now because of how bad the economy has been just since the pandemic had started so i think that really changed you know my trajectory you
0: know um one thing i'm hearing from both of your stories uh, in deciding to pursue a master's degree is that there's so much that goes into making this decision, not just um, so much happening with you personally, with your circumstances, with your obligations, but then so much going on with the changing landscape of higher ed that impacts uh, your ability to pursue or not to pursue or to pursue and then change your mind. Um, so I'm glad that both of you shared kind of the reasons why you're you're in or you're kind of one leg out or one foot in one foot out. Um, but I, okay, well, since this is post master's program, I want to hear about some of the challenges that have come up for both of you after the master's degree. So whether it's the challenges of being in a doctoral program at this time in this day and age in 2023, or the challenges of um, being a working professional in 2023 with the um, recession, everything that's going on. I'm Everybody's saying it's a looming recession. It's a recession. Um, if you can tell us a little bit more about that. And also, I mean, related to post-grad transitions, Um, And any kind of big life transitions, there's a grieving process. It's, it's, uh, It's tough to go through life transitions, and that can also impact how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others. It impacts our relationships. So whatever you're comfortable sharing about some of the challenges you may have or are currently experiencing, post-master's program because this is a lot of folks that listen to this podcast are interested in grad school or are already in grad school and are going to make that transition at some point and it's just good to share kind of what may be coming.
1: Yeah so for me for context I'm not married I don't have any children um I I am the oldest of a family, so to Pati's point, um, but I'm not like responsible or they my parents are not relying on me financially to support them um, yet. Um, and I think that's, that's I'm pretty lucky in that way uh, that I don't have that additional, additional stressors or additional stressors within my PhD program. Um, for me, the pandemic actually helped um, helped me get into a PhD program because they got rid of the GRE tests at that point. Um, And it gave me time. So I was actually in between accepting a job and also applying for PhD programs, but then the hiring, there was a hiring freeze. And so then I was unemployed for, you know, that duration, I think like eight months. Uh, during the pandemic and so I put all my energy on PhD applications and also considered other universities like UC Riverside like I never thought of UC Riverside before that year Um, I thought of the bigger schools but it's been a blessing in disguise because it's um, it's a very diverse campus not to put in like my two cents for this school but it's it is very uh cultural it is very uh diverse like we're the we're like a minority serving institution you're like name all the minorities and we're serving them um and yeah i think one of the challenges that i face was partly having to be remote like online classes for the first year Of my phd program which i thought i wasn't going to enjoy but i did just i liked having that flexibility of being anywhere and connecting to my class i didn't like um well i missed the social part of a phd experience socializing with folks building community um and then i would say the recent uc The recent UC strike, right, um, that we experienced also altered my second year, first quarter of my PhD program, disrupting it. So for six, I think it was for half of the quarter, classes got canceled, got moved online. So like I missed on good learning. I I technically popped myself. um yeah so that those were the things that I that I experienced that were challenging that I wasn't expecting um as a full-time PhD student um but yeah I think I think just to conclude it's timing is everything for me and I think I don't see myself doing anything else right now (laughs) like I I like my program enough and I Per usual, like navigating the spaces, I find the the people that are caring, the people that are supportive, the people that are willing to listen to me. Like I've I've already kind of made some segue in people knowing who I am. And that's important because when opportunities come up, they think of me. They know what I'm about. They know that I support undocumented students, that I'm my research is on undocumented grad students, that I'm your person, your student, if you need someone to represent the campus or to go to the White House, I can I can do that for you all. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think it's just, um, it's like my dad always said, you make the school, the school doesn't make you. And I think I definitely can see that being applied at UC Riverside, a school that's not as well known, but has been providing me with great opportunities.
0: Yeah. Relationships and support systems are everything. So I'm glad that you mentioned that the upside to, um, to your, your program and your experience this far. Well, um, what about you, Patricia? Challenges and maybe, maybe some of the positives too. For sure. I think again, my
2: year was just a unique way to end my master's was with a pandemic. Um, so, I think there was a lot of grief of like not being able to celebrate because I was so looking forward to um, this like big achievement and milestone within our family. And especially for me, cause I'm like, this was, you know, I went into my undergrad thinking that that was for my parents, but in the end, you know, because of a mentor, she's like, no, you're doing this for you. You know, this is for you and, and start kind of owning up, you know, this journey of like, what do you want to do as opposed to kind of thinking always, what do others want for me to do? And I think that's a trap that we get, especially for folks who for the longest time, you know, get conditioned to feel that all of these successes have to be for someone else, or you have to perform for others. Um, I think this was like kind of liberating for me to be like, oh yeah, like, let me, this is for me. And my master's for sure was um, a journey that I you know, decided I got support, you know, from folks and I finished it for my own professional development, because this is what I wanted to do. Um, So once I graduated, um, there was no ending. So like, you know, it was not as like exciting. Um, I went straight into remote work and that transition was a lot easier because I wasn't able, I didn't need to go in person as much. Um, as a professional, I, I got to do the zoom, you know, and all that stuff. So it was nice to just kind of decompress that last year of like seeing and your identity outside of being a student. So transitioning as a first gen now professional was a lot different now because, you know, you have to kind of consider, you know, your thought process was the whole, you know, you're, you spend so long looking at that graduation that afterwards, like not a lot of people discuss like what that post-graduation life is going to be Um, if you've been an academic for a long time or doing research or stuff like that it was like kind of strange to be like oh I have free time like I have you know choices on what I can do I can do fun things I don't have to always be productive like I think that was a challenge from like going to every day especially my last year and especially that last semester just working on that thesis like you live breathe eat sleep dream (laughs) that big research project and especially for a phd program that's even more of you know encompasses so much more of your time um that afterwards i'm like okay let me you know take up on hobbies kind of figure out what i want to do professionally i took my time to just kind of decompress and now within now my second to third year now going on to my third year as a working professional um i mean i got a promotion um, so it was like a different role and new you know, possibilities. And now I get, to, that's why I started kind of thinking about what kind of leadership role and responsibility do I want? How do I want to move up? Like your thinking process is a lot different, but it did take a bit of a challenge, kind of like thinking about oh, I'm so goal oriented. I like was so used to doing the checklist stuff that now I'm like, there is no checklist. This is everything you build on your own and kind of figure it out. You now don't have the same support system or a cohort or anything to be like, hey, we're going to support each other. Now everybody has to intentionally kind of make time to sit down and get mentored or you reaching out to something else. Because I was now thinking about transitioning out of the side of higher ed, it was super overwhelming to kind of like be like, well, my whole life goal, and the reason why I went to pursue a master's was to do this. So since then we've met with a lot of, you know, people on our podcast to also discuss what life is outside of higher ed. What life is when you transition to a whole entirely different career. How you address these conversations with family when, again, if you're first gen, for the most part, family doesn't understand what you went through. And then now you have to talk to them about a career transition. Um, And like, for me, it's like now the next milestone is like, learn, earn more money. What do I do with that money? How do I, you know, learn about financial literacy and kind of like, what options do I want to have? And that's the thing that sucks is that now that I like graduated and went to this job market, it's super trash. And now this coming 2023 year, so many people being laid off and people like, now who are new graduates having to think about you know the job market that we have now and for those who are having a job like really being careful about what are the career transitions if you're you know changing jobs or even titles or moving up you know always kind of have a game plan so i think this this time has taught me my whole uh academic trajectory had never gone to plan <laughs> so i've always had to pivot and change the direction and kind of like, again, do the same thing I did an undergrad. Know what, who I need to connect with, know what kind of support systems are out there, really reach out to the online community, community because sometimes, you know, the community doesn't exist when you're, you know, in the, in the spaces geographically where you're living in. So I've connected with a lot more folks on LinkedIn and like kind of think about what life is outside of higher ed because believe it or not, there is life outside of higher ed and you don't always have to kind of stick or feel stuck in an industry um, and have to do the thing that you did and, you know, your degrees either. Um, You know, the world could open up. It's just a matter of like, how hard do you want this? And also if you do have challenges, kind of like, how are you going to address them? So I think, you know, graduating has led me to really discover myself more and have those tough conversations with family and discuss mental health and generational trauma, like, and really like discuss the hard stuff with my family and talk about what boundaries we need. to. So it's like a lot of like rediscovering yourself after post-grad. And I spent most of this time, again, forcefully because of the pandemic to really reflect on what I want. And I think that's where a lot of us don't get that out, you know, like when you exit counseling of like, and programs that help you really see life outside of whatever, you know, everyone's kind of pushing you towards. And that's kind of the philosophy that I now kind of put into students to think about, really look at your own options and really start thinking about doing this yourself. And, and no matter if it's going to be different than what your family expects you to. Like that's actually pretty normal that a lot of folks now are having conflict within parents and family and sibling, you know, dynamics. And I'm really happy that like TikTok exists where a lot of folks are talking about what that dynamic looks like in a healthier way, um, where we feel more empowered, especially for women, um, and non-binary folks to be more of their authentic selves and not have to perform in every aspect of your life.
0: Thank you for the reminder that there's life outside of your current institution, there's life outside of higher ed, there's even life outside of the country. (laughs) And so that, you know, like we, there's depending on our circumstances and our situations, it's good to explore our options and and there are folks out there willing to help you out in, in whatever transitions you're navigating. I wanna be mindful of the time. So we're gonna get close to wrapping up. So I wanna ask uh, both of you, if you have any closing words um, or words of advice for any students who are interested in pursuing a master's degree and who are um, curious about life after after their degrees? um, Any closing words you're willing to share? And then after that, if you can tell us a little bit more about how we can find you, follow you, connect with you.
1: For me it's um don't not don't but <laughs> follow your intuition um and and don't get discouraged by obstacles or challenges sometimes like you're just getting rerouted to where you're meant to be or the place you're supposed to be at and like I said earlier is everything sometimes we don't when we're in the middle of of everything like let's say application season or waiting to hear back like we don't see beyond just that and so but maybe something greater is coming and we don't see it so just be flexible adaptable don't get discouraged and and keep keep up you know the good work don't give up
2: yeah following the same line like sometimes uh you'll have days where you have questions you know like kind of you feel lost, overwhelmed, not know what your next steps are. And other days you'll get answers, the support that you wanted, the resources that are, the people that are willing to there to help you. Um, and that's just kind of how life is. I, When I first went to my first round of interviews, I was dreading the idea of having to apply again for another position, you know? And so I think it's just kind of getting comfortable with interviews, getting comfortable with not knowing, uh, getting comfortable with the stage of like, know if things don't go work out you know that position or what you thought of or that program wasn't what you initially thought of it's okay to do the things that people don't you know assume that you're going to do like i again kind of like how yvette mentioned like everybody's like why you're you know like don't fall into the stereotype i think is like feeling the need to uphold this idea of who you are based off what other people perceive of you so like if you did go to mcnair for example like it's okay not to pursue a PhD, you know, like that is not something, it's not a failure. Um, You don't have to hit certain markers if again, it doesn't feel right for you. Um, Like Ariana, like follow your intuition, think about what works best for you um, because ultimately you're the one having to show up. So um, I just think that, you know, folks need to, you know, think about life is not just your personal life, your specific identity or other, like you're always able to reflect reevaluate and start with a clean new slate and there's folks out there that can help you for the thing that students do is that they're kind of like they have this tunnel vision of like i need to do this um you can pursue so many different things again it's going to be tougher now with the time so i think if you're getting a lot of rejections or things are not working out just know that structurally everything's kind of collapsing <laughs> Um, because of just the socioeconomic, you know, environment that we're in, you know, a lot of things are changing and a lot of people are being laid off and it has nothing to personally do with you. It has everything to do with how the structure is set up. If the program is not accepting you, now I see kind of like, I'm so glad that they didn't accept me in my PhD program, because imagine me having to start a PhD program, start it and then go to a pandemic, like that would have been devastating. Um, and then also looking at the job market, it made me reflect on seeing what kind of industry I wanted and see what kind of options there were and seeing like, yeah, this is very unsustainable, you know, for the kind of lifestyle that I want. So really looking at job, you know, post is my number one advice for anybody kind of wanting to pursue a PhD or a master's to see whether even your career or anything even needs that. Cause sometimes you are going to you know have a detriment if you are too niched or too broad or the degree that you want doesn't pursue that like always kind of reflect the whole plan make sure that you are informed and you make an informed decision about your career and your academics because both of them are two different things like you pursuing a degree has different requirements than that job or industry that you're trying to pursue and keep up to date with the industry there's always new changes and um I Like the more you're informed you are, the more connected you are. I think the best way that you can pivot if, you know, hit, shit hits the fan, you're always going to be knowing what your next steps is because you have a community that can help guide you to, you know, what that looks like
0: and support you through that process. Thank you. So uh, for folks who resonated with everything that you both shared, how can they reach you? Are there any places on social that they can connect <laughs> Yeah, so definitely
2: um, connect and listen to our podcast. So it's Chicana with an X, uh, Chicana Code Switchers. Um, You can find us on Instagram. It's uh, Chicana Code Switchers together. Uh, We're also on Twitter, X Code Switchers. Um, So definitely um, search us up, listen to our podcast. And if you want to ever connect or um, learn more about our story or need help with anything that we, you know, want to have a discussion about you can always uh, reach us at chicanacodeswitchers
0: at gmail.com thank you so much we'll make sure to add that to our um, show notes and I just want to say thank you thank you so much to both of you for being so open so honest about your experiences about everything you've learned in your journey Um, very very different trajectories but also I'm sure very relatable to our listeners so I appreciate you so much Muchas gracias. It's been really great to hear from both of you.
2: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us our time to now be on the other side of the mic
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and be interviewed. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok. With the handle at grad school fan touring. Thanks again, and until next time.